Hi again, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to Moving Up the Ladder on LJN Radio, the source for expert advice on all topics related to your career or business. And we're back with another edition of Myth versus Reality, where we break down and analyze the phrases you hear regarding management, hiring, the workplace, your job search, a number of different areas. Now, today's guest is Mike Perry. He's the president of Zarka Financial, and he brings more than 30 years of experience as a hiring manager to the table as well. Mike, thanks again for joining LJN Radio. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate the uh, offer to have me on. Yeah, definitely. I know you have a wealth of knowledge from your experience, and uh, we're going to jump into this myth versus reality. It's a new segment we're trying out and trying to really give the listeners an idea of, uh, is this really going on? Is this really the case? And uh, obviously get some details from you. So why don't we jump into it? And the first one I wanted to ask you about, it's something, again, people hear or see about, and that is that reputation carries more weight than your accomplishments. What's your thought on that? Well, my thought is, in my mind, clearly that's a a myth, and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. Accomplishments build what your reputation is. Accomplishments build your brand, and ultimately your brand is your reputation. It's one and the same. Sure. There's a great quote by Henry Ford, and he said, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Hmm. Now, Tim, a lot of people try that. (laughs) Sure. I've seen (laughs) resumes, you've probably seen them too, where people are telling me, they're this or they're that. And the reality is they never back it up. Hmm. And so I need to see as a hiring manager, I need to see some great accomplishments that make me think two things. One, why am I going to look like a genius if I hire you? Bottom line, if I'm not going to come out of this thinking you're going to make me look great and really smart for hiring you, why would I choose you? I got a lot of other candidates. And the second thing would be, how are you going to help my group go from good to great? Right. That can't be just because you have a reputation. I want some quantifiable accomplishments that really start to make me feel you're going to be that person. You're going to be that game changer that I've been looking for. Again, that's accomplishments. Through those, you build a brand. You build a reputation, but mm-hmm. it's got credibility. It's not the Henry Ford quote of, you can't build it on what you're going to do. Right. You build it because of what you've done. So if we take that to, say, a resume, is that where people need to really put those, I mean, numbers and use facts as opposed to, as you said, just this is how great I am kind of thing? Tim, that's a great point. And I tell you, as all the literally thousands of resumes I've looked at and, and the hiring managers in my network that I speak with, they tell me the same thing. They see all these resumes where folks are giving them all this irrelevant information. <laughs> folks need to focus in on what I've asked for in a job description. So let's just say I'm looking for leadership. I don't want to hear, and we see this all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm really not even being sarcastic here. We see things like, I led a team. Well, <laughs> you know, that's great that you led a team. Where did you lead them? Did you lead them into a pool of sharks or did you lead them into a earning the Division of the Year award six times in a row and no one had ever done that before? But under your leadership, your dynamic leadership, your group was able to do that. See, now we're talking, and because I still get two or 300 resumes, that's got to pop very quickly. And I've heard timing as low as 10-second scans. Right. So from 10 to 30 seconds, I'm scanning your resume. I've got to see that kind of stuff pop. So yes, quantifiable metrics wherever you can. Context of comparison, best ever, top five, top quartile eight years in a row. No one had ever accomplished this type of thing before. The department was losing money. Within six months of my coming in, the department was making twice as much money as it did any previous year. 
These are the kind of things that make me as a hiring manager, as I'm scanning your resume, or even a recruiter or an internal you know, generalist, say, wow, not only have they honed in on what we're looking for, this is separating this candidate from all the others who said, I led a team. Well, good stuff, Mike. That's definitely a, a nice start to our myth versus reality. And uh, again, I always like those practical tips that our guests can offer up. Here's another one that has uh, kind of bounced back and forth with people I've talked with, but I want to get your take. Candidates who change jobs often are frowned upon. And I would say that that is a reality. And I'll put, there's a caveat in that, which is, if you're in, in a certain industry such as, and a great example, because I see this all the time, let's say that you're a high-end programmer or systems analyst. You're in high demand, and it is very common for those types of individuals to jump from you know, one place to another to another. For instance, I'll bet you that if you look at Microsoft, there's a certain percentage of their people who came from Google and other type of companies and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But they look at that, you know, and this is a non-traditional way, they look at that as almost a badge of courage. You know, you look at all you've learned by being at all these different places. That makes you more valuable. Now, you go to most other companies, Tim, they don't like that. That job hopper, you know, uh, perception comes up. I just right. helped somebody uh, a couple of days ago with a resume, and they basically told me, they said, well, Mike, here's my short history. In the last four years, I've had three different jobs. He went to look for a CFO position and was told, boy, they really liked me. They liked my skill set. I answered, you know, they said I did well in the interview, but they sat me down and said, here's one thing that our executive committee was concerned about. You have had three different employers in the last four years, and we're nervous that you would come in here and leave. And I hear this a lot from people in jobs that are outside of maybe some of those exceptional areas, like I mentioned before. So yes, it's a reality. Now, what he did, because a lot of your listeners might say, well, Mike, that is my case, and I have legitimate reasons for that. Two or three of those companies closed their doors. I, I wanted to stay there. I was happy there. Well, this gentleman, what he did was say, beyond that, what are your concerns? What are your greatest priorities you want for your ideal candidate? The president told him, well, we, you know, we want this and this and this. He went and talked about his accomplishments in those areas, sold his value to a point where they said, you know, you've gone beyond our concern of the fact and you've, you've legitimized your reasons why you had those three jobs in four years. We see the value in having you here you've made us believers. And they're basically going to bring the guy on board. He was at the edge of, had he not pursued it? And I get this question all the time. Well, if that's me, how do I sell around that? You know, any salesman will tell you, Tim, in sales 101, and let's face it, when you're in a job search and and you're trying to get, you know, uh, selected as a candidate, it's a sales job. You have to overcome objections. And if the objection is, gee, you know, we have kind of a concern here that you've been in multiple jobs in a short amount of time. You got to sell beyond that. I can't change that, Tim, but I've got to sell beyond it. And that is fascinating. And you mentioned uh, just being able to overcome that concern as well as depending on the position and exactly what industry, how that can change things. So, uh, you know, with a lot of times these things that we talk about, it can be different based on the situation, but I think you did nail it there with that, uh, that particular phrase. Let's stay in the realm of hiring 
And then we'll get into some uh, areas of maybe actually in the workplace and management ideas. But this one is, again, one we come up with, especially we talk with uh, mature workers, and that is you will be judged in an interview based on your apparent age. What do you think about that one? I say that's baloney, (laughs) but I also know, you know, your listeners know, there are hiring managers who discriminate. They discriminate on all the, you know, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's age. Listen, Tim, I'm 60 years old. And there would be there would be people, I guarantee you, that if I went in, they would they would be able to determine how old I was. They don't have to ask me how old. They can either look at me or determine it from my job history. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking for someone in their forties, not a guy who's sixty. I get that. When I answer this question, when I'm it's in the it's in the, the realm of a good hiring manager who is looking to do the right thing for his team and his employer. Those folks are looking at value, not age, not gender, not ethnicity. They are not. Tim, we have a, we have a uh, job search group, which I think I mentioned the last time. It's called Ohio Career Connect. We mm-hmm. just started it just to help people network. And we have helped through that group. We have helped probably, oh, over 100 people who are late 50s, early 60s gain employment. Because we coach them on how to present their value instead of apologizing for their age. And that's what you have to do. Too often, Tim, candidates, even when they talk to me in, a, in, a, in the first time where I'll sit down and do some coaching with them, their shoulders are slumped, their head is down, they talk in an apologetic, almost whisper, and I'll tell them, hey, pick your head up, throw your shoulders back, show me you're proud of what you've done. Tell me the thing that you're most proud of. Just asking them that question Many times you could see their body language, they sit up more, you know, straighter in the chair, their voice becomes more passionate. And I say, now you've got to bring that same energy to the interview. Right. You can't let me for one minute get hung up on that you have gray hair, no hair, that you're, you're you know, some different ethnicity than the person you're interviewing. None of that should matter. That again goes back to you sell beyond any objection, whether they've announce what the objection is, or you perceive that for whatever reason, there may be age discrimination or whatever. You know, I've had a lot of women especially say to me, well, no employers will look at you with gray hair. I would say there are some that do, and the good ones do not. I've helped right. place a lot of people, Tim, who are female in their 60s and because they have tremendous value and they present themselves in a way that's making that hiring manager think, wow, am I going to look like a superstar for bringing this person in? They could care less at that point what color your hair is. And I like uh, you've been consistent here with your message, even with the, a couple of the other statements and the idea of that value and really showing what you have done and, and being able to express that versus, as you said, maybe these minor things or, or things that aren't necessarily relevant as we talked about with the job hopping and even with age here. So I think that hopefully our listeners can see that you have that consistent message when you're talking about looking to acquire those jobs. Tim, let me, let me add to that just one, one, and every one of your listeners can, you know, associate with this. How many times, if I had a room of a thousand people and asked this question, I'll bet almost everyone would raise their hand. How many times have you gone to some restaurant that looked like a dump, a hole in the wall, and you go in and you get the best knockdown service, fabulous meal, you walk out of there and tell a hundred people how great it was. <laughs> what did you, what are you talking about? That it looks like a dump? or that it had great value. You're talking about the value, and those places you can hardly get in. 
That's a great analogy. Perfect analogy for what we're talking about here. I will uh, I'll have to keep that one in mind for sure. Let's take the myth versus reality portion now into the workplace and the idea of especially management and, and your employees. And uh, this is one, again, we get asked about or we see discussed. Career development is the job of the employer. What do you think about that one? Well, that one actually is, I'm, I'm split on that, not okay. because I can't decide, <laughs> but because it's a shared responsibility. So part myth, part reality. I'd rather term it as it's a shared responsibility. Okay. So for example, when I am interviewing candidates, and when other hiring managers I know interview candidates, and they're starting to get somewhat serious, if you're not asking this question, then I think you're doing a disservice to yourself, your company, and the candidate. And that is, you know, the some version of the where would you li- where do you see yourself in this company? Where would you like to be? What would you like to be doing in three to five years? Mm-hmm. That may seem like an old traditional question, but that tells me a lot about the individual. If I'm looking for a go-getting game changer, and I have somebody say, well, you know, I'd like to be a bank teller for the next 50 years. Tim, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a game changer necessarily. I may be looking for someone who wants to work up the ranks, learn everything they can, learn the business, possibly be part of a transition plan 10, 15 years down the road. But I need to tell the candidate that because if that's not what they want, then I've got to be fair to the candidate so that when they don't come in here and go, wow, the expectations of this place are not what was told to me during the interview. On the other hand, Tim, the responsibility of the person that's being interviewed is to say, well, if I'm not asked that question, I need to say, well, I picked your company or I like your company because I would like to be doing X. Right. Now, let's say that I'm, I'm in there. Nobody's had that discussion with me and I'm employed. At some point, you need to go to your boss if they haven't asked you this and said, hey, could I, you know, could we sit down? I'd like to talk to you about, you know, where I'd like to go in the organization and what kind of training. Again, Tim, this should have all been discussed, but let's say it wasn't. If you really want to develop, you need to ask. I don't have any sympathy for someone who says, well, my boss never came up and told me. What? You, you have a mouth. Go ask. <laughs> you need to prompt these things. Now, your boss should be able to come back to you and say, oh, Mike, gee, I didn't know that you were interested in becoming you know, the director here or the team leader there. Here's what I would see. Here are the things that in the skill gaps we have to close for me to give you serious consideration. Maybe we'll have you shadow Ted over there who mm. became a team leader a year or so ago, and Ted can help you because he's walked in your shoes. You know, he started doing the same thing you did, and now he's a team leader. And we're kind of grooming him to be VP. Well, you know what, Mike? That's exactly what I want to do. Well, great. Now, my job as your manager is to create those situations, but I should also be asking you, Tim, that on both ends, you, the employee, are telling me, hey, I'd be a whole lot happier here if I, if, because if I knew I could develop, I would be really more passionate and happier. The employer should want to know that. I want you mm-hmm. as a long-term employee. If you're passionate, you're going to be better. If I can get you to be all in every day, that's my job. And I should be asking you those questions. So it is a shared responsibility. I think you raised some really great points there. And uh, as we said, sometimes with these, it can be tough to really choose one side or the other. And as you said, it's not that you're not making a decision on it, but that it really does have to be hand in hand. So hopefully those listening can appreciate that. We are getting low on time here. I wanted to touch on one more before we left. And this one I found interesting because for one, I've heard this actually presented to me from managers in the past, and I've seen it more and more 
of the articles I read, and that's that delegation is the most important managerial skill. Well, and I, I think, frankly, that's a myth. To me, all things good or bad come out of communication. Hmm. It can be your greatest ally or it can be your worst enemy. And managers, leaders must be excellent communicators. Everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to know what the vision is. Everyone has to know what their expectations are. Yes, is delegation an important skill for a manager and a leader? Absolutely. But if you're not communicating, I can point my finger at you, Tim, and say, Tim, do this, Tim, do that. (laughs) Am I delegating? Technically, yes. Do you have any clue why I'm doing that or how that fits into your career development or how that fits into what's good for the team? Not if I don't tell you. And you're less apt to be excited about doing that if I'm just pointing my finger and delegating something to you. Tim, what if I did that and you said, oh, he's just making me do a lot of stuff he doesn't want to do. Yeah, that's probably the thought. That happens all the time. Yep, definitely. (laughs) But if I communicate to you, Tim, I'm trying to develop you to do this because I'm grooming you to do that, I am jumping out of my shorts if I'm Tim trying to say, oh my God, Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm right on it, Chief as opposed to, hey, Tim, go do this. Hmm. Both of those are delegation, but if I don't communicate it, I frankly, I think I'm a, quite a poor leader. Mike, definitely some excellent stuff. Uh, you know, you being able to draw off of your experience in a number of different ways, I think that's great for the listeners and, and giving us that specific piece of information as opposed to just theories, which a lot of times we hear. So appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight. Uh, welcome to have you on again. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Tim. With that, we'll close out this episode of Moving Up the Ladder and another edition of Myth versus Reality. Again, we are speaking with Mike Perry, president of Zarka Financial. If you'd like to get in touch with us, have some feedback about this show or any others, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN, and please check out our shows on iTunes as well. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>